Hey everybody, Matt Hardman here with another episode of the Race Nerd Podcast here on the plethora of programming known as CKCC Radio. Thank you for tuning in, as always. Um, This episode is going to be a little different. And when I say different is because I am recording on Monday morning. Now, sorry. I am recording on a Monday morning. Usually... On a Monday morning, I'd be talking about uh, the weekend's racing with the Cup in the Xfinity Series. Um, But due to the storm that passed through um, Dover yesterday, uh, they will be completing the Cup race today. They got about 70-something laps in um, on yesterday before the rains came and washed away the the rubber on the track. And... um, Dover does not have lights like most tracks, so um, they will be competing today. The weather is a lot better than it had been yesterday, so they will be doing that. Um, So we will not have any cup results. Uh, We do have Xfinity results, uh, IndyCar results um, from Barber Motorsports Park down there in Alabama, and um, a lot of other news and whatnot. as we're just a week away from the Goodyear 400 at Darlington for Darlington Throw, Darlington Throwback Weekend. And the way that's shaping out, uh, I'm going to do a special episode later on. Um, probably on a... Um, it might be a free Patreon episode. I have I've yet to really discuss it. Um, but it's going to be a um, a fun episode where I rank all the paid schemes. Because um, there's some good ones. There's some that I just wasn't feeling. And there were some that were you know, completely out of the blow. Um, but with that said, like I said, we got a lot to talk about. We're going to dive in. Uh, the Xfinity Series race. Uh, we would see Josh Berry um, pick up his third career um, Xfinity Series win. Now, Josh, who, I don't know how much you all follow the Xfinity Series. Josh has been a longtime member of Junior Motorsports, going back to their days of running, um, a late model team. Uh, Josh is one of those drivers who came up through their program, uh, won two races last year, once at Martinsville and later on in a, uh, filling in in the one car for uh, uh, Michael Annette. Uh, he won a race there in Las Vegas. Uh, this year he's got a full-time ride with um, sorry, a full-time ride in the 8 car uh, with uh, Tire Pros and Harrison's um, and he's making the best of it. Uh, beat Justin Allgaier um his teammate over at JRM Motorsports for his third career win in a uh, in a Dover race that was kind of ho hum. I'm not gonna lie, it it's a Dover race. Um, I didn't expect anything too crazy out of it, and I didn't set the bar high like we had at Talladega the week before. Uh, but. It was not a bad race. Uh, definitely the Chevys were the strongest cars out there. Um, 
so we're seeing a, a lot seeing some kind of parody between the three makes in the Xfinity series. Well, definitely between Toyota and Chevrolet. Um, the Fords are, are working on it, um, but they don't have like their big uh, their big money Ford Xfinity teams uh, with Penske leaving the sport. Now it's Stuart Haas and a bunch of smaller teams, so... Uh, but we did have um, that, and we did have Paddle Award winning uh, round two of the um, of the NNT Data IndyCar Series uh, 2022 season. Um, award picks up the picks up the win, and. Uh, on a road course, and um, I'll be honest, I didn't see this. I, I worked um, quite a long shift yesterday, so I didn't really get to see any racing. Um, I actually had MRN on before the rains hit. So I didn't even listen to the IndyCar race on um, the XM. Uh, but a couple of notes on that. Um, Probably the first thing that I noticed was I have to give major props to Andretti Autosport um, because there were a lot of crashes and a lot of um, drivers, you know, just kind of losing their, you know, their footing and whatnot uh, on the track. Um, Alexander Rossi suffered a pretty big wreck in practice, and yet they were able to get the car out um, repaired for qualifying and would qualify fifth. Um, that's pretty impressive, especially with an IndyCar, um, because IndyCars aren't anywhere near as durable as um, the NASCAR stock cars or even the modifieds. Um, you know, one little hit with these cars, you know, it breaks something in the suspension or whatnot. Um, but the number 27 um, Napa... Auto Nation um, Honda there for uh, Alexander Rossi and Andretti Autosport. They did a hell of a job turning that car around. I remember seeing pictures uh, right after the wreck, and I honestly thought that they would be going to a backup for uh, the start of Sunday's race. Uh, so major props to them. And uh, what really, what really stood out to me uh, with the Indy cars is. We had, um, a few weeks ago, we had Texas. And Jimmy Johnson had a really strong run at Texas. Finished sixth. Uh, his best finish by far in his foray into open wheel racing. Uh, this weekend, we would see Jimmy Johnson at the bottom of the charts. He was a full two seconds off the pace in um, practice and qualifying, qualified dead last on the field. And my thing is, maybe it is time for Jimmy to, you know, kind of give up on this open wheel pipe dream, uh, especially on the road and the street courses, uh, where he has been a non-factor since moving to NASCAR. You know, Jimmy wasn't the greatest um, road course racer in his NASCAR career. 
and um, you know he he has a singular win out of his 83 wins um, that you know maybe this is the wrong thing to do I, I understand why he wanted to do the um, the road courses and all because of the speed and you know obviously you know less speed less of a chance of inherent danger uh, so I, I get that but at the same time I mean doing oh sorry I tried to take my jacket off yeah because it is a little warm here um, I woke up this morning and it was 31 degrees out up here in lovely Maine and it is 65 right now and that wasn't me I apologize if that popped through um, I uh, anyway getting back to Jimmy uh, just the fact that you know you're trying to avoid this inherent danger but you're becoming a danger on the track being so slow um, his IndyCar stats, especially for a team like Chip Ganassi Racing, where you have drivers like uh, last year's champion Alex Pillow and Marcus Erickson and uh, Scott Dixon, who is one of the all-time IndyCar greats, you have those guys as your teammates, and you're that slow. Um, it, it says something. Um, you know, this may have been good 10, 15 years ago. Um, you know, right around Danica Mania. Uh, but I think, I also think at the time, 10, 15 years ago during Danica's IndyCar um, career, that the level of racing was just a bit higher. Um, this is, you know, not as strong. Uh, yes, you do have a lot of young lions like Pato Award. Um, Alex Pillow, Roman Grosjean, you know, uh, drivers like that. And you still have some of the old guard like Tony Ganon who's doing a partial schedule, you know, Helio Castro Neves, you know, Will Power, uh, you know, guys like that who've been around the circuit for a long time. You know, and these are name brand uh, drivers, you know, these are guys who you know, you could go with and um, bring in sponsors. You know, Jimmy Johnson, obviously, he is a, a very big name in um, American motorsports, you know, for his seven championships. You know, he was um, desert racing prior to moving to stock cars. You know, so he he's certainly, you know, not one to rest on his laurels, but I think that this may be the time where if I'm a Chip Ganassi or a Jimmy Johnson or even a Carvanas, he'll say, hey, listen, Jimmy, you know, we want to get bang for the buck. Um, we know that you're a multi-time uh, stock car champion. You, you're giving this a, a fair fair shake and trying to do it, stepping out of your comfort zone, but this isn't working. You know, maybe do, you know, Indy and a couple of other races, Indy and Gateway and whatnot, um, because those are the only tracks that I actually see him being competitive, because other than that, you're just there. I mean, and you don't want to be like a Hiro Mashusta, uh, a driver who obviously had big money, 
coming his way as Mashusta um, was part of the um, the Mashusta family, which owned a lot of Panasonic. I believe his grandfather was the founder of Panasonic. Or, yeah, it was Panasonic. Um, so, he, you know, he was living off his his family's money and trying to race indie cars and was doing a horrible job of it. Um, I just don't want to see Jimmy like that, you know, just kind of go out in a whimper. Um, but that's just my two cents. Um, you know, I just, I, when I saw that, I actually felt embarrassed for Jimmy. Two seconds off the pace. Um, and this is the same equipment that last year's series champion had, as Scott Dixon had. You know, this is all the same equipment. It's not like he's racing for um, a Junkos or a um, or, or a another lower tier team like Rick Ware. Um, so moving on, um, we've got two big pieces of news to come out, and these actually took place off the track. Um, First is Denny Hamlin is or, was ordered by NASCAR to attend sensitivity training um, after last week's Talladega incident. Um, Hamlin had posted, had tweeted a, um, a little video clip um, involving a, a stereotypical scene from a um, family guy involving a female driver. And, um, this video was spliced with, uh, Kyle Larson's move on, um, late in the race, which saw, uh, Bubba Wallace being taken out, uh, from last week's, uh, Talladega race, the last week's Talladega finish. Um, NASCAR has ordered him to do this. He, once he posted it, he automatically took it down and admitted it was in poor taste, um, Interestingly enough, uh, Kyle Larson, who, you know, he's found himself in needing some sensitivity training in the past, you know, um, after a situation that got him suspended from NASCAR uh, for an entire season um, from his from an incident on iRacing uh, during the pandemic uh, on live TV. Um, Larson admitted that, you know, he was not offended by the video, uh, which was direct, which was directed at him. Um, but he, uh, he could see why some people may be offended by it. Um, you know, I, I get the sensitivity training. I get this, but this is one, this is Denny Hamlin. He does have a, a tendency to, you know, tweet stuff or say stuff or whatever. And, you know, come back and bite him in the ass. Um, unfortunately, that's what this is doing with the sensitivity training. Um, but at the same time, you know, are, are we reaching, um, when it comes to, you know, what needs this training? It was a bad meme. It was a, it was, it was a bad little clip that he posted, you know, should he have had the common sense not to do it? Yes. Um, was it super, um derogatory uh, I've heard a lot worse come out of uh, drivers and team members mouths in the past um, 
So, I mean, this is no different. Uh, the only thing is, this is required. And, and I really do believe that Denny, um, you know, I think part of it was due to his frustration because this was um, the car that he, that Larson did get into and put in the wall was uh, one of Denny's cup cars with Bubba Wallace. Um, but, I mean, it, it's just, yeah, it was, it was something stupid. And um, while we do have the sensitivity training, I, I think that this is one of those things, you know, I know that there is, uh, there is talk that, you know, this may get him in hot water at Joe Gibbs Racing. I don't foresee that, uh, especially with, um, you know, FedEx and whatnot being attached to Denny for so long. Um, I think if, you know, if there was going to be something that would have happened with Denny and Joe Gibbs racing and his sponsor, we would have seen it years ago with um, a lot of the stuff that has come out throughout the years, uh, both from uh, in the past with Denny and his um, ex-girlfriend or um, the stuff with Denny and Bubba Wallace years ago after Daytona. Um, which is still mind-blowing that the, the um, all the stuff that Bubba Wallace talked about Denny and, you know, all the derogatory uh, shit that he now drives for Denny um, and Michael Waltrip. So I think it's just very interesting uh, with all that. Um, the other big news coming out is about Daniel Dye. Uh, Daniel Dye, who is a... Um, Developmental driver for Gallagher Motorsports Racing, uh, GMS, um, in the ARCA series, uh, was arrested last week and charged with felony battery. Uh, I believe it was third degree felony. Um, after an incident in the classroom, which saw him um, basically, basically, um, sack tap. Uh, that's probably the best way I could put it. Um, causing a, another school, another classmate to supposedly have a possible ruptured testicle, um, from way the article was that the boys were horse playing, um, Daniel had, in one article, put it as punched him in the groin, um, another, you know, kind of say that he hit, uh, the classmates groin, um, and uh, a lot of people are already saying that this has pretty much ruined this young man's career. Um, charges obviously were filed where this, where there was an injury. Um, the school which this happened at, because this happened in school, um, as of this recording, has not taken any action um, on said incident. Uh, and uh, he... Initially, when this all came out, that he was arrested, um, they had uh, GMS, nor uh, ARCA, had uh, taken any disciplinary measures. Uh, it was about a day or two later, ARCA had uh, suspended uh, die indefinitely. Um, while this gets worked out, um, he was booked. Uh, he was back out on, I believe it was $2,500 bail. Uh, 
Okay, there's so much to unwrap in all this. Um, this young man who is going to a private school in Florida, I believe they said it was. Um, he had just turned 18. Um, and the the, uh, the victim here was a minor. Uh, so, you know, from what the stories go around that they were horseplay. And he hit him, and uh, it seems like the big part of all this is that had he been a minor, that we wouldn't have seen the charges. Um, I find it very interesting that the school didn't take action, but the police did, uh, with this happening in class. In class. Um, so, I, I, I'm mystified. I am mystified. Um you know, how can this happen? The school doesn't take this, you know, whether whether you want to say they didn't take this seriously or they didn't take this, you know, uh, to the extreme that the police did. Um, you know, it's it's a very it's a very weird situation. Um, and why did uh, NASCAR, you know, ARCA? which is a NASCAR entity, uh, which a lot of people, you know, forget. Because um, when I mentioned that NASCAR has not taken action, I've, I was automatically recorrected that I had to recorrect people. It is a NASCAR entity. It's not run independently. It's not its own organization. Um, ARCA was purchased by NASCAR, obviously, you know, what, four or five years ago. Um and they just kind of run it um, as a uh, pretty much a developmental series, which is what ARCA had become over the last 25, 30 years. But um, why they would take this when NASCAR's usual thing is a wait and see um, with these charges. I know uh, in the past, you know, there, there's been there's been situations where they've uh, suspended somebody, um, you know, with Kurt Busch um, many years ago, where he was uh, suspended um, with with being uh, charged and booked on um, domestic assault. Um, eventually, the case was thrown out of court. Um, there was a lot to it. There was. A lot of legal stuff going on between him and his ex. Uh, stuff that would come out in a, a child custody hearing between his ex and her uh, former spouse, the, the child's father. Um, you know, so that, you know, they did a knee-jerk reaction to that. Um, they also did a, a knee-jerk reaction to a Tyler Dipple. Uh, former truck series driver who was suspended um, with um, pill prescript um, pill prescription that wasn't his from his vehicle. Uh, eventually, you know, everybody damned him. You know, said that he would not be racing ever again, and that this ruined his career. It would only come out later on uh, that it was his friend's prescription that his friend left in. Um, in Dipple's vehicle, and Dipple would, would put it in his backpack, hoping to meet up with his friend, 
to give him back his prescription or something like that. But um, obviously all charges, they were dropped, but Dipple missed a good chunk of the season um, with that hanging overhead. You know, there, there has been situations where obviously it's been warranted, um, you know, where NASCAR has stepped in and did this. And, you know, I, I feel I feel this situation with Daniel Dye, um, all the facts aren't known yet. Um, so I'm trying to withhold judgment. Um, I do know that, like I said, he, he's 18, so this probably got looked at a lot differently than if this was happening between two minors. But... Um, it's it's just a bad situation, you know. Uh, I'm sure it's a situation that he regrets, uh, but this, you know, there has to be some kind of accountability. Um, whether it's a criminal thing, a civil thing, or 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 just boys being boys, that that's something that, you know, I'm not gonna pass judgment on. I'm not gonna make a comment on um, until all the facts are said. So. Uh, with that, I'm just going to move on. Uh, what else do I want to talk about? Oh, yes. Okay. As I am recording, it is March 2nd. And March 2nd, or not March 2nd, May 2nd. Wow. Um, May 2nd holds a, um, a very unique thing as we come up on the anniversary of probably one of the biggest mysteries in the sport of NASCAR. Uh, and that is the um, the mystery of L.W. Wright in Music City uh, Racing. Uh, for those of you who don't know who L.W. Wright is, uh, L.W. Wright is a... Um, his story is basically NASCAR's D.B. Cooper. Um, I'm sure everybody knows or at least has heard the stories of D.B. Cooper. Uh, D.B. Cooper was a, um, a gentleman uh, back in the late 60s, early 70s, uh, who um, would theoretically hijack a plane um, let all the passengers off except for a pilot, two pilots, a um, a stewardess and whatnot. Uh, had the plane loaded with all sorts of money. Um, I'll be honest, I forget how much they said it was—a couple hundred thousand dollars—and over um, the Pacific Northwest, he would parachute out of this plane, never to be seen from again, nor the money ever seen from again. Um, and it's just one of those tall tales that has never gone away. L.W. Wright's story has pretty much been the same thing. Um, in this year is the 40th anniversary of L.W. Wright and the, um, Music City Racing, uh, team and, uh, how he... According to myths and legends, swindled um, NASCAR, Goodyear, um, Cuckoo Marlin, uh, the father of uh, multi-time Daytona 500 winner, Sterling Marlin, 
and uh, many, many more out of money. Nobody has heard or seen from L.W. Wright since 1982. Now, what's very interesting about this is nobody's seen or heard from this gentleman since he disappeared. Um, there's been P.I.s looking for him, according to some legends. There's been a whole bunch of stuff uh, throughout the years. Uh, videos, um, Fox Sports had done one on the history of L.W. Wright, NASCAR man. Uh, who does uh, many videos on YouTube and used to do blogs on Racing Reference, uh, has documented this story. Matter of fact, uh, NASCAR Man has actually created a shirt for Music City Racing, which you can actually buy on his Etsy shop. Uh, it's actually really cool. It's, it's, uh, it's one I wouldn't mind having. So uh, instead of throwing some Patreon dollars my way, if you're not already a patron of CKCC Radio, you can get me a... Uh, L.W. Wright shirt, and I will proudly wear it while recording. Uh, but anyway, um, L.W. Wright has actually returned, um, and this is a uh, a podcast that had come out uh, to celebrate the 40th anniversary of L.W. Wright Music City Racing and their the big hubaloo that has uh, surrounded uh, this story over the last 40 years. Um, Scene Vault podcast host Rick Houston, who is a noted author and former um, writer for uh, NASCAR's Grand National scene and Winston Cup scene, uh, along with Steve Weed, the editor-in-chief and longtime writer uh, for uh, the, the NASCAR scene brand, um, they have actually made contact and did a uh, two-and-a-half-hour-long um, interview with L.W. Wright. Uh, L.W. Wright, which goes by the name of Larry Wright, um, tells his story, his side of the, uh, the, the interesting saga of um, what happened that day 40 years ago in Talladega and... Um, everything else. It's, it's a very interesting listen. It's only a brief snapshot. It's a 35 minute um, episode. Um, like I said, the um, Rick Houston had actually uh, did two and a half hours of interviews uh, with Larry Wright. Um, eventually to, you know, possibly a book in the works or even a um, a docudrama movie, so I think this is, this would be really, really cool um, if you're interested in one of the biggest mysteries in NASCAR. This would definitely be something to check out, and I find it very fitting that this is the 40th anniversary, and I was really excited. Uh, out of all my podcasts, even, even my CKCC radio um, brethren uh, at the Nerd Table and the A-Show, I'm sorry, guys. This was the thing I wanted to listen to first and foremost this morning. So um, I definitely suggest giving that a, a listen on through. Um, maybe I'll actually cover um, in, a, in a Patreon the, the, the myth of um, L.W. Wright at some point in the future. Um, but until then, you, you know, just tune in and 
definitely check out this scene vault podcast, you know, because there are so many stories to this. Um, so anyway, um, I'm going to wrap it up now. Uh, like I said, uh, we're going to, we got, um, racing here in about two hours, two and a half hours, um, at Dover. And, uh, we'll, we'll see, we'll see if it was worth the one day wait or if this is going to be another ho-hum snorer, um, at, uh, Dover Down Speedway. Uh, so we'll have coverage of the Cup race from Dover next week, along with the coverage of the Darlington race, and we'll rank some of the all-time, uh, well, some of this year's uh, best and worst Darlington throwbacks. I've already got a list of my best um, in each of the uh, three uh, divisions that will be running in Darlington. Uh, there's still plenty more that will be coming out over the next week or so. Uh, so until then, I'm Matt Hardman, and I will see you at the track. Bye.